Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Pinato. Father, through the gift of art, I pray that you may help us to see your truth. You who are a lover of all that is beautiful and pure, Father, help us to see the purity of your light this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I am by, by no means an expert in art. Um, apart from the little bit that I learned about art in school, there was one class in junior high that I took. It was an art elective class. And apart from what I learned in that class when I was 12 years old and whatever else I may have picked up from life, I know very little about art. But when we visited Florence, Italy last year, when we walked through the Uffizi, the the Uffizi is this enormous uh, art museum and art gallery in, in Florence. And um, you may not have a chance to see the perspective of how large it is, three stories tall, and there's, there's hallways and art rooms and exhibits on both of those sides and all throughout, and it, it's just endless. I don't know how many hours we spent there. And I had no idea when I started walking in there and I went in there and I was going hall after hall, floor after floor, room after room, I quickly realized that I had no idea what I was looking at. I had no, no idea this is what it looks like. Just an example of what one of the rooms looks like. I mean, you can just see there's just art everywhere plastered all over the wall. And I had no idea what, what I was looking at. I had no idea to be able to, to truly appreciate what I was looking at. And I didn't want to be disrespectful and uncultured. You know, I didn't want to be that disrespectful American, that uncultured American um, who um, is, oh, oh, okay, okay, next slide, please. Oh, next slide. Oh, okay, Madonna and Bambino. Okay, all right, very good. Oh, oh, Venus. Oh, that's nice. Okay, we saw that. Oh, Medusa. Oh, okay, Botticelli, Spring, Raphael, Rossi. Okay, good. We're, are you guys ready for lunch? That was uh, 15 minutes. Are you ready to go? I didn't want to be that guy, all right? Uh, maybe some of us are that guy, but I didn't want to be that guy, right? And so I told my wife, I said, when we go back to Paris this next year, I want to visit as many of the art museums as there are. I want to visit the Louvre, and I want to visit the Orsay and Lingerie, and I want to visit the Rodet Museum, and I want to know what I'm looking at. I want to know what I'm looking at, and so we are going to take a tour, and we did that, and we learned so much, so much, so much. And so we are back in the Orsay. The Orsay, you remember from last week, was where we ended um, with the opera there, that they had that little exhibit of the, of the opera inside the miniature. And the Orsay Museum is where they have many of the Impressionist works of art. And the tour will give you a, a, um, a history lesson of art. And we enter the exhibits of the classical period or the neoclassical period. And our, our, our tour guide was telling us that if you notice the artwork of, uh, the, of the classical paintings, there is this, I don't want to necessarily say artificial aspect to it, but there is this um, kind of this haze about it. When, when you look at this picture here, you can tell it's, or when you look at this painting here, you can tell it's not really a picture, is it? No, right? You can tell it's a, it's a painting, right? There, there's this kind of fantastical appearance to it. There, there's even, like I said, this little haze, there, a little glow, a little bit of nostalgia about, about the pictures and about the paintings that the artist would draw. 
The idea being that the classical style from the academy had a, would portray life with this perf, in this perfection, in this, with idealized images. Idealized images and perfection. That's what we need to know here about the classical style. Idealized images and perfection. Now, it's, it's interesting here because I think uh, today we have controversy about pictures that are idealized and perfected. And we use the word Photoshop today, don't we? Photoshop today. It's interesting the, um, how there's nothing new under the sun. And so we're learning there about the classical paintings. And as we're walking from room to room, there is a common theme throughout all the paintings that we're seeing. There's this common theme. And guess what the common theme is? Nudity. Especially female nudes. And we're walking through these halls, and we're looking at it, and we're seeking to appreciate it, uh, appreciate the human body, and we are, after we're all made in the image of God. Isn't that right? We're made in the image of God. There is nothing objectionable about our bodies. Uh, we're not prudes. This is art. And so we just you know, continue to try to appreciate it. And then from the classical period, they move us into the exhibits depicting realism. And the idea here is that the movement of realism, as the name suggests, were paintings that were more realistic in nature and in tone. Um, not only does, it, does this look almost like, like, a, like a photograph or a picture, but it would also, um, they would also paint, the realist artists would paint the common people. Uh, before, with the classical paintings, it was only the wealthy who would be portrayed. But here, with the realistic movement, they started painting the common people, the workers in the field, looking at the, the common people. But the key idea here is that the image is more realistic. And, guess what? The nude art continues into the realism. Except this time... Because the images are realistic, or more realistic, it's harder to, to rationalize the nudity. And then, as we're trying to wrestle with this, the tour guide then says this. Tour guide says, Both classical and realist painters had a fascination with the depiction of nudes and soft pornography. And that made me pause, and it made me reflect a little bit. The painting of nudes was not accidental, nor was it incidental. It was intentional. Are you following me here? And so far in Paris, we have seen that the architecture was not accidental. It was intentional. Um, everything that we've seen about pairs has been intentional. And so I stopped and I thought, this isn't accidental. This is incidental. These artists wanted to draw nude females, and they wanted us to be able to see it. And the tour guide even calls this pornography. Well, soft, soft pornography, right? And so I started thinking, does that mean that there's a range of pornography? Um, as in... Soft versus <laughs> the opposite of soft, you know. And, um, and I started thinking, if there's a range of pornography, does that mean that maybe some pornography is okay and some isn't? Think with me. Oh, but as long as it's art, it's okay, right? Or as long as it's in an art museum, it's okay, right? 
I mean, it's, it's the human body. It's the perfect creation from the hands of God. So where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? And then the tour guide continues. And the tour guide tells us, during this time, the, the, the late 1800s, 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, and, and onwards, during this time, the, the derigotype, I don't know if I pronounced that right, the daguerreotype had been invented. Does anybody know what a daguerreotype is? Daguerreotype. Okay. Very close. Yes, yes, yes. Very close. The daguerreotype. And we're going to see that word again here. This is what the daguerreotype is. The daguerreotype is one of the earliest uh, means of photography. And uh, it was a silver plate, and they put certain powders on that silver plate, and then they exposed it to light for, for about 20 seconds, and then you had the image there. The derogotype was one of the first, was one of the first types of, um, of photography invented by the French scientist Louis-Jacques Daguerre. And that's why it's called the daguerreotype. Louis-Jacques Daguerre. Huh, a Frenchman. That's interesting. That's interesting. The daguerreotype was a method of early photography. It was, back in the 1860s, it was new technology. It, and it was rapidly making conventional artists obsolete. Because up to this point in history, if you wanted an image, you had to hire an artist to paint that image for you. And if you wanted a self-portrait, then you had to stand there for hours on end holding that pose while the artist would be, you know, drawing you. And it wouldn't happen in a day. It wouldn't even happen in hours. I mean, this would take several days. This would take maybe even several weeks, maybe even several months, standing there posing for the artist. And how much do you think that cost to pay somebody a living wage for several days, several weeks, several months, right? Uh, that's why only the wealthy could do it. But here, this new technology, you're able to stand for 20 seconds still, and your image, you, and you have your image right then, right there, and it's much less expensive, it's, it's very economical, and that's why in, in a lot of these uh, photographs from the 1800s, people aren't smiling. I mean, just try, try to hold a, a smile for 20 seconds. <laughs> you know, it, it slowly like turns into a frown, and it slowly turns into that awkward kind of, you know. So that's why, that, that's why they were still, they weren't, they weren't smiling. Because it took 20 seconds, you know. So this is new technology. It's rapidly making conventional artists obsolete. In 20 seconds of exposure, you could have your self-portrait done rather than posing for hours on end and waiting for weeks and months at a high cost to have someone paint you. And I think it's fascinating here. I think the introduction of new technology is so fascinating and its effect upon the current generation that is experiencing that new technology. How many of you here don't remember a time without Wi-Fi? There are people alive today that do not remember a time without Wi-Fi. There are people here that do not remember a time without smartphones. Smartphones. There are people alive today, and they're typically the younger ones. Um, when, when did Wi-Fi become uh, maybe the last 15 years, maybe? So anybody younger than 15 years? You know, you've always had Wi-Fi. But there are some of us who remember life without Wi-Fi. There are some of us who remember life without a smartphone. There's, there's some of us who remember life without the internet. There's some of us who remember life without uh, color TV. There's some of us who remember life without TV at all. You lived before the invention of television. All you had was the radio. And I, I don't think anybody goes further back than radio, right? 
right? But, but, but these are interesting, right? These, when these new technologies come about and the influence that it has on the current generation. I mean, I, I, remember, uh, I remember the days before GPS, right? And you had the key map, and you had to open that key map, and you had to look up the, the, the name of the street and the index by alphabetical order, and you saw it was on G4 and, and H7 or whatever, and then you go to that page, and you find where that street at is, and then you try to figure out how to get to where you're at to that, that street there, right? There are people alive today that will never know what a key map is and will never, ever have to use a key map because they have GPS. All right. So, so the invention of new technology is fascinating upon and its effect upon the current generation. And so the derogatype photography was a new technology. And, and, and realism, coming back to the artists, the realist artists. So now the, the realist artists are competing with this new technology of photography. Uh, this new technology that real images are captured by this machine. And so the realist artists are seeking to capture the same realism. As, a, as, as the photographer. And, that, and that's, why, that's part, part of why the style changed from this kind of hazy classical style to a more realistic depiction of, of humanity because they're, they're competing against photography. And part of the realism of the artist, part of the new technology, is to create images of nudes. And so here in France, through art and through photography... We are witnessing the dawn of the modern-day society dominated by visual images. Do you hear it there? Do, do, do you see that? This is a transition point in the history of humanity. The age of oral perception, what I mean by oral perception, of, of, of auditory, of your ears. The age of listening is fast coming to an end, and listening and auditory sensations dominated the world since the beginning of time. That's why even in Scripture, it speaks so much about hearing, hearing the word of the Lord. Um, I I think in very few places, it'll it'll see seeing the word of the Lord. No, it says hearing the word of the Lord, the emphasis on 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 the auditory and on the ears. But this era dominated by oral perception is fast coming to a close in the middle 1800s, and the era dominated by visual images is coming upon us. What is the impact, do you think, upon the mind by hearing something versus seeing something? Is there a difference if you just hear something, rather if you see something? It's a difference, right? There's a difference. Let me see here. Um, Can you hear nudity? Can you hear nudity? You can't hear it, but you sure can see it. And once an image is in the mind, it's there and it's not going anywhere. If we're honest with ourselves, I'm sure all of us have seen things we wish we never had. We've seen things we wish we could forget. And we just have to pray to God, God, just wipe that hard drive clean and just help us to forget. In fact, the Bible speaks about God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. The promise is God will will help us with that to be able to forget every memory that has caused us pain in whatever aspect it is. And so then there's that little song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Mm. This is what the Bible says. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. This is Job's commitment that he made to himself. 
This is the story of David. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And that was probably the transition point in the life of David. Um, Everything from there changed drastically for David. The decisions that he made based upon this experience here. And then here are the words of Jesus. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And 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 as I'm walking to that museum, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about these things. And then I remembered, wait a minute, there was, during the 1860s and 1870s, there was someone here in the United States of America, someone who was living in Battle Creek, Michigan. It was a woman, and she was a writer, and she was very dear to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And in the midst of this context, she had something to write, and she had something to say. This is Ellen White writing about what was happening in her days, what we're going through the museum learning about. It says, many of the young are eager for books. And they read everything they can obtain. I find that a little bit comical because I wish our young people today would be eager for books, right? Um, our, our, our young people no longer are eager for books anymore. They're eager, they're eager for this. They're eager for everything probably other than books. But many of the young are eager for books. They read everything they can obtain. Exciting love stories and impure pictures have a corrupting influence. Notice what she says. Pictures, images. This is new, this is new technology in her day. Um, What what are our youth seeing today? What are our adults? What are the pictures and images that are are being shown to them today? Exciting love stories and impure pictures have a corrupting influence. Novels are eagerly perused by many, and as the result, their imagination becomes defiled. In the cars, and she's speaking about train cars. They didn't have automobiles back in her days. It was trains. In the cars, photographs. Photographs of females in a state of nudity are frequently circulated for sale. These disgusting pictures are also found in, where? Daguerrean saloons. There's that word again. Louis, Louis Daguerre, the daguerreotype. These disgusting pictures are also found in Daguerrean saloons, and they are hung upon the walls of those who deal in engravings. The Daguerrean saloon was the, um, the Photoshop. That's where you went to have your uh, daguerreotype taken, your, your picture taken. And there in, in these uh, Photoshops, there would be hung pictures of nude women on the walls. This is an age when corruption is teeming everywhere. She wrote that back in the 1860s. What would she say today? The lust of the eye and corrupt passions are aroused by beholding, seeing, and reading. The heart is corrupted through the imagination. The mind takes pleasure in contemplating scenes which awaken the lower and the baser passions. These vile images, seen through defiled imagination, corrupt the morals and prepare the deluded, infatuated beings to give loose rein to lustful passions. Then follow sins and crimes which drag beings formed in the image of God down to a level with the beasts, sinking them at last in perdition. Now, studies have come out recently about the damaging influence of pornography upon not just the individual, but upon relationships, upon the marriage relationship. And again, the damaging results of pornography on the individual themselves. 
and how pornography can often lead to dangerous, unhealthy, and even criminal behavior. You know, notice what she says. After seeing the images, then follow sins and crimes, which drag beings formed in the image of God down to a level with the beast. You know, and this is what modern psychologists are telling us, that indeed that is the result um, of exposure to pornography. And then finally, next slide, please. She says, so what should we do? <laughs> Remember I asked, them, where, where, where's the line? You know, how do you draw that line? What did she say? Avoid reading and seeing things which will suggest impure thoughts. Cultivate the moral and the intellectual powers. The ability and the technology to capture images is a blessing. Uh, photography is a blessing. Uh, video video is, is a blessing. At Soteria, we were just uh, talking this morning, right, about how you had your grandchildren over, and, and you filmed them, and you recorded them you know, during the Christmas, you know, and then you have that image there. You have that memory uh, to be with you uh, forever. It's, it's a blessing. Art is a blessing. God created, uh, God created art, and when we read the Old Testament, the sanctuary and the temple, there was this incredible artistic expression in, in the temple and in the sanctuary. God is a lover of, of art, but like all forms of technology, we need to be careful, and we need to have limits, and we need to have boundaries about how we use technology and the gifts of art that God has given to us. Uh, you know, we don't want to be prudes. But we do want to be pure. How about that? Maybe I should have titled my sermon that way. Not prudes, but pure. I don't know. It's working with the P's there. We don't want to be prudes, but we do want to be pure. And I think that God is calling us to purity. And uh, should I say this on, on, on Father's Day? Wives, do you want your husbands looking at other women? That wasn't too convincing. I'll ask the question again. Wives, do you want your husbands looking at other women? Of course not course not. Husbands, do you want your wives looking at other men? No. You know, the only man my wife needs to be looking at is right here, right? Nobody else, right? This is all she gets is a complete package right here. So God is, God is calling us to, to purity, and it's, it's, not, it's not about whether or not we've seen nudity or not. It's about whether or not we're exposing ourselves to it and placing ourselves in compromising situations, intentionally seeking it out. Again, I'll remind you the words of the Apostle Paul. Next slide, please. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are right. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And my intention wasn't to preach about pornography today. I was going to talk about, going to talk about art, right? But, but it's, it was a tour guide who spoke to us about this. And the far-reaching influence that that art has had even on our day today. Mm. It all began there in Europe, in France, in Paris of all places, in the academy, and with paint, art, and photography. Mm. Moving on. So we pass the, the classical sections and we pass, we pass the realistic um, exhibits. And then we moved on to the exhibits of Impressionism. 
with, yes, the men, uh, Manet, the artist Manet, Monet, Degas, Renoir, Cezanne, later on Van Gogh and, and Gauguin, and I had no idea who those people were until I, I went to that museum this last year. And the tour guide is telling us, as we're looking at the Impressionist paintings, he's telling us, Impressionism is not about drawing things. You know, and I always looked at Impressionist art, and I was like, why is everything kind of so fuzzy and, and blurry? What, what, was, what was going on there? And, and the tour guide is telling us Impressionism is not about drawing things. Impressionism is a study of light and of color. The thing, the physical object, is merely a rack. It's merely a canvas upon which to hang the light and the color. You guys need to think about that a little bit? You guys following me? Okay. Uh, so when, this is one of Monet's paintings. Uh, Monet was not interested in drawing the woman. He was not interested in drawing the little boy. He was not interested in drawing the, uh, the umbrella or the sky or the, or the grass that you see there. What Monet wanted to draw was the light and the color. Mm. Just stop there. He wanted to draw the light and the color. And that just blows my mind because I don't think in those terms. I mean, when I, when I see something, I see the thing. I don't, I don't see the color. I don't, I don't see the light. I see the thing. I see the pew. I see the, I see the, the, the banner back there. Um, I'll see the door. I'll see the clock. I don't see in those terms. I don't see the color. I don't see the light. I don't see those things. And so this just blew my mind. But he's telling me, Impressionists, the Impressionists, they're not painting the thing. They're painting the light and they're painting the color. And that's where the name comes from, Impressionism. Uh, it's an impression. It's learning to see the light and the color. Learning to see the light and the color. Uh, and, and I'm going to zoom in here on this painting, see if you can tell what part of the painting I'm zooming in on. You zoom in on the painting. And when you zoom in on the painting, you just see, I see some white there and I see some blue and and maybe some purple and, and a little bit of green up to, up to the top left. And, and uh, I think there's a little bit of purple um, there. And uh, I'm not sure, but I, I, really don't, I really don't see anything. In fact, in some places, you can even see a little bit of the canvas that is sticking out behind it. Impressionism is about drawing the light and the color. Guess what part of the uh, picture we zoomed in on? Yeah, go, go back, Dana. Yeah, it was that back part of her dress because that's where the light, that's where the white is shining on the back part of her, of her dress there. When I approach the painting, it's just, it's, it's merely a spatter of paint and, and of color, but when you stand back, then you can see the image. And the tour guide shared with us, abstract art takes things to another level physically. The abstract art physically removes the thing and it only leaves the light and the color. And that's why, for, to me, abstract art doesn't make any sense. You know, when I just see a, a, a red blob or a green blob, you know, splattered on there. But, but for people, for some people, it makes sense. You know, it's just they're, they're focusing on the color and on the thing. And then as I'm, I'm listening to this on the tour, Impressionism, and I'm going to repeat it again, Impressionism is a study of light and color. The thing is merely a rack upon which to hang the light and the color. And as I'm listening to this from the tour guide, then I remember a conversation that I had in December, this last December, while I was in Nebraska. I was visiting with a friend and, and we're talking about things and, and about what we're learning or what we're reading. And he tells me, he says, Jonathan, I'm reading this book about light. I'm reading this book about light. And I would never think to read a book about light. 
Um, and the book is, uh, and I'm like, how much do you know about light? I mean, how, how much can you learn about light? Well, light is light, right? I mean, that's kind of my, how my brain works. It's, it's light, um, and um, you can see things. Or when there's light, you can see things. When there's not light, you can't see things. And, and I, I think I know I like warm light. I don't like uh, necessarily the cooler tones of light, and that's about all I know about light. And he's like, yeah, I've been reading this book, and this book is about this thick. And uh, it's about this, you know, this big. And I'm like, how much all can you know about light? How much can you read about light? What, what is there all about light? And he says, I'm reading this book about light. And he says, not all light is of the same purity, he tells me. Not all light is of the same purity. What, what do you mean? And then he shows me this graph that's in the book. Not all light is of the same purity. This is sunlight, and this is, this is the spectral density of, of sunlight. And he says, yeah, looks here. The most pure light that we have is the light of the sun. And it's pure not because of two reasons. It's pure because of its intensity. Um, you see it kind of how, how far high it goes up. It's pure because of its intensity, but it's also pure because of the quantity of the wavelengths. And the wavelengths, it's the color, the color spectrum, how much, how much color is in that light. And if you see here, it's pretty broad. Contrast that with Fluorescent lamps. Some of the, you know, some of the color tones, I mean, they're kind of there, but they don't really come out. Only certain ones come out, the blue and the, is that between yellow and green, I'm not sure, and, and the orange. That's what you get with a fluorescent bulb. Go back, go back, Dana, one more time. Compare that. You see that? Sunlight, the intensity, the purity, and then fluorescent light bulbs. So I started thinking, Jerry, we need to change these. No, I'm just kidding. We need to change these light bulbs. But I'm, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, these are LED. Yeah, and LEDs are pretty similar, except they're a little more towards the blue, right? And, and he's sharing this stuff with me, and he says, not all light is of the same purity. He says, purity of light is determined by the intensity of the spectral density and the quantity of wavelengths. And, and this is kind of getting beyond me, and he says, you know, not to talk about how light is a, is a micro uh, electromagnetic wave, but it's also photons, and it's also particles. And not, not to get too, too, too complicated with this thing, I'm, I'm in that art museum, and he's saying impressionism is about drawing the light and the color. The Impressionists trained their eyes to see the light and the color. And then it dawned on me. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, God is light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And I began to wonder, what must the purity of God's light be like? What must the purity of God's light be like? This is a passage from Scripture at the transfiguration of Jesus. He's given us little examples. It says, He was transfigured before them, and there Jesus was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and His clothes became as white as the light. Now, I found that interesting that, that Matthew decided to use that description. First of all, sunlight is the most pure of light that, that we have access to. And he likened Jesus' face to the sun, to the light of the face. But then he, he likens his clothes. They became white as, not as snow, though in some places it says white as snow. But it says white as the light. You know, Matthew had no idea about, about the, the physical properties of light, but yet under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is able to use this illustration that Jesus' whiteness was, was white as the light. Uh, Mark says that his face was dazzling white. 
Whiter, it says, whiter than anyone in the world could whiten them. Imagine what that's like. God's light, God's purity of his light. Whiter whiter than anyone could bleach them is how some translations say. And then we learn in the Psalms, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Now, now this is a side note here because the word learned means blessed are those who know, literally in the Hebrew, yada. Blessed are those who know to, and then it doesn't say acclaim you. It says blessed are those who know how to shout. Shout. Do you know how to shout? Do you know how to shout for the Lord? All right, now this is a side note, but when I read this, I was like, no. Blessed are those who know how to shout for joy to the Lord. Jubilation. Seventh-day Adventist. When we worship, do we know how to shout? You know, let me, let me tell you something. When I get excited, I shout. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't take me much to get excited. I mean, I was excited in Paris. And I love Paris so much that even when it was rainy, I said, babe, let's go outside. Just put the umbrella and we'll be walking out in the rain um, all day long. I was excited to be in Paris. I was excited to be in this museum. I was excited to learn everything that I was learning. I get excited over sports. And I shout during sports, and I'm on the tennis court, and I hit a winner against Byron. That Actually, that never happens. That never happens. But I, but I, I hit a winner, and I'm like, come on! I shout because I'm excited. How about shouting for joy for the Lord? How about knowing how to shout for joy because of His light? It says, those who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. To be thankful, Jesus, thank you for the light that you're shining in my life. Thank you for the light that, that you're, you're leading and, and guiding me and blessing me with. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. And finally, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Mm. The irony is that Paris is called the city of light. And yes, there is a lot of beauty there, but there's also a lot of darkness there. And I was walking through this museum, I was thinking about these things, and I said, oh Lord, help us to be able to walk in your light. Help us to be able to see the purity of your light and to be able to walk in it. Uh, I want to show you this this next slide. We want to conclude with this here. Towards the end of, of the tour, um, it took us to the back of the Orsay Museum, just underneath where the opera model was. The opera model was on the second floor, and, and this here was on the first floor just underneath it. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's uh, a sculpture by Auguste Rodet, and it's entitled The Gates of Hell. If you don't know who Auguste Rodet is, don't feel bad. I didn't know who he was either. Auguste Rodet is amazing uh, sculpture and... Um, Impressionist artist as well, but he mainly focused on sculpture. He is the one who sculpted The Thinker. Have you seen The Thinker? The one who's like that? Okay, that's Rodet. And The Thinker is actually on, on the top of this door here, the gates of hell. This is one of the last works that Rodet did, um, was, to, was to sculpt out this, this, uh, this door, the gates of hell. It was based on Dante's Divine Comedy. And as you approach this door, and, and let's do a little, let's zoom in on this one. But what you'll see is you'll see all kinds of people twisted and, and turning in various uh, ways. Um, you see some are, are knocked down, being stomped on. Some are falling, and they're trying to hold on. There's, there's demons and there's skeletons that are pushing them down. You see the thinker there on, on the left-hand side. And the tour guide was telling us that um, we don't have to think about what the thinker was thinking about. 
because Rodet writes what the thinker was thinking about. The thinker is there, and the thinker is thinking about his eternal fate and his eternal destiny. Intentionally, what Augusta Rodet sculpted him. The thinker is reviewing his life's work. And here, one of the last works of Auguste Rodet, he is contemplating his eternal destiny. There at the gates of hell. And when I see this, and the tour guide is sharing this with us, the thought that came to me is that these men, these great, amazing artists, they knew biblical truth. They knew the truths of Scripture. They were familiar with the truths of Scripture, and they also knew exactly what they were doing through their artwork and through their sculpture. It was not accidental. And so the question came back to me, do we know what we're doing? Do we know how we are living our life? And through this experience, I felt that God was calling us to purity. God is calling us to purity, and God is calling us to walk in His light. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so I don't know about you, but this experience through the Orsay Museum said, I said, Lord, help me to walk in purity and help me to walk in your light. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with us on www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.